today we are sitting down with Natasha Ramatar of the book Bittersweet. And uh, hi, Natasha. I would love to know just for the full context of everybody listening, because it is what most of your writing was about, what specifically is the story of your family that brought them here to Canada? Mm-hmm. My family is uh, is from Guyana uh, in South America. Um, and then prior to that, they're, they're descendants of indentured laborers uh, who would have come from South Asia. So today, like modern day India. And so it, my attempt with Bittersweet was to kind of trace that lineage. So tracing, um, you know, from where my parents settled uh, in Toronto within Canada, um, but then tracing that back as well to their um, their kind of uh, uh, childhood and youthhood and that kind of thing uh, within Guyana. Um, and then prior to that, all the way back, um, generations and generations to, to India or to South Asia. And I think one of the things about Bittersweet that I was really conscious about putting in the book was making sure that someone, a reader, would, would be able to feel that kind of disconnect that I often felt. So the idea that it was kind of more of a collage or a piecing together of these different kind of clues or pieces or uh, documents um, that I was coming across. But the kind of timeline itself was never fully clear um, and never fully chronological. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense, I suppose. Yeah, thank you. Uh, one of your poems is called Translation by Sound. It has a lot of parts that I think by looking at it are Hindi writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what what do those parts say? Why did you choose to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, as I, as I kind of mentioned with the, the kind of first overview of the book uh, and the lineage that I was trying to trace, um, one of the things that I was really interested in was uh, those kind of disconnects. And so one of the biggest disconnects that I have to a kind of homeland before homeland um, and the idea of, of South Asia and modern day India is, um, you know, none of us in our family um, still speak the language. Uh, and even so, if we did, it would be a very different kind of um, dialect or version of it than uh, what's spoken today. And so the actual pieces um, that are not in English in that poem in translation by sound, um, they're uh, numbers. So it's just one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Um, but it's in it's in Hindi. So ekto, tin, like that kind of um, uh, that kind of rhythm throughout it. And uh, what I did with that poem was it was an attempt to, as the title uh, indicates, translate by sound. Um, so what does it sound like? to someone who only speaks English um, to take these words that are in a different language and are supposed to be in a kind of ancestral language and pull it in and try to like fit it into fit it into a place that it shouldn't be or fit it into a place that it doesn't necessarily mesh with. Uh, and so in doing that, um, the first like something like ache, the number one becomes ache in English. And if you were to read the poem completely, out loud with all of the the kind of sound that you would get from the numbers what it actually ends up kind of being like is is a bit of a gibberish poem um so a poem that doesn't completely make sense because uh because of that disconnect and because of that attempt to to put something where it doesn't necessarily belong Mm -hmm. that was 
really interesting to hear. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. It. Uh, I didn't know that that poem was like that. But that's that's pretty cool. I like that idea. <laughs> it's pretty creative. Um, I guess. I mean, you kind of like touched on this already, and um, just like thinking about it, because uh, I'm also I'm Guyanese, but I'm also uh, indigenous. So it's like I grew up in like a pretty like indigenous household. But the way on my uh, this question kind of scrambled, but just like on the way on my indigenous side, uh, I kind of see it as because like on my indigenous side, you know, we're from the land. And I see as like, I see like reclaimed land back. And like, that's kind of like the way to rediscovering ourselves or the way to figuring out who we are as a people is to, you know, um, find community within like pre-community or Ojibwe community. But what do you think the answer like for that? Or like, what's kind of been maybe helpful for you in being Guyanese? Because, you know, part of it is, I don't think you'll ever like I I have a feeling who knows it could change but for me so far I don't feel like I'll ever be East Indian again um you know I might never move to Guyana so how do you come to terms with that with that disconnect as you were as you were saying and how do you you know um yeah figure it out <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love that question. And um, you bring up a great point. And that's, that's something as well, um, with my intention of making it into a kind of collage, as opposed to, uh, I could have taken the approach of making it a, a very historical and chronological kind of timeline, um, and have provided those those kind of uh, historical details. But I really, really wanted that kind of feeling of uncertainty, um, or dreamlike state, uh, because of that like the nature of being um, a person who is Guyanese or Indo specifically Indo-Guyanese within the diaspora. Um, and like you said, knowing that like for myself as well, I, I wouldn't think that I would move there. I, I wouldn't think that I would move to India at any point. Um, and I think one of the ways that I've really uh, been able to find community um, around that has has been um, just finding other folks who uh, who are West Indian, um, and that's not just. I would say that's not just specifically isolated to folks who uh, are descendant from um, South Asian indentured laborers, but people all from all across the Caribbean, and finding spaces where um, we can kind of share in the exciting parts of our culture that we we really love. So things like um, food, things like slang, things like going to uh, a party or just, you know, lambing together, that kind of thing. All of these, all of these kind of like intricacies um, that come from our families that overlap despite, um, you know, whatever uh, island or country we're from has been really kind of a way of um, grounding ourselves in community but also keeping kind of one foot in that culture and kind of preserving that culture. And I think it, it's such a special thing to be able to create those kind of bonds, um, especially with communities who are, you know, black indigenous or people of color, um, in like rooted in joy. And that's one thing that I, that I really like about that. I think there's definitely a place for 
you know, for, for both joy and acknowledging um, the kind of traumas of the past as well. Uh, but these days I feel like joy is the thing that I focus on more um, and the things that my communities try to, to reach into more. I hope that answers the question. I know, I know there was like, the question that you asked was quite a large one. So I kind of took it in one direction. That, I feel like that was a really, a really good answer, really helpful. <laughs> um, so my question is focused really on just one poem. And so that's on your poem on reading. That's actually my favorite poem because it reminds me of my great grandmother. And so it just it has a lot of connections. And so I really like that poem. And my question is on the ending section. I'm gonna read what it says. And so it says, she would edit the bad words with tea, sweeten the bitter pages until they were born, born anew. If I close my eyes, I can sometimes feel the rough grains of sugar on my tongue once more. And so for me, when I read that, I kind of felt like, okay, so there's this person who is bringing, making life just a bit better by their existence in their own little way. But then in the second section, you said you can feel it once more as if it no longer is there. And so I kind of just want to ask, like, I don't know if your grandmother is still in your life or not, but do you feel like there is still someone there who kind of sweetens those rough edges of life for you? Whether it's with a different method, it's not with tea this time. Is there someone there who still helps you with those kind of things? So that's kind of my question. Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. And I, I also, I really appreciate that you were able to, you know, read that poem and, and kind of see it in your own life. And that um, I really love when someone is able to read a piece and kind of feel an emotion and feel a connection uh, in their own life. So thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and so... I guess with the question, I there's definitely multiple different people that <laughs> sweeten my life, very thankfully. Um, and so, you know, there's, of course, the immediate people in my family. So my parents, my sisters, um, there's, of course, my, my friends as well. Um, but I think with that poem in particular, uh, something that I, I really wanted to capture um, so the uh, the grandmother that that I wrote about um, passed away a, a number of years ago, and I think that even the memory um, of that and a kind of uh, the idea of the memory being a way to hold on to someone or being able um, to kind of re-experience that joy and that sweetening uh, is something that I was trying to get at, and I think not only something that I, I was trying to get at in the poem, but uh, I think in general as well, that's kind of a, a sentiment that I try to preserve. So something I really love about your work is it sort of highlights or you can travel through time in a very like immediate way, like of flashes of the past and the present and the future. Uh, and there's like a shift or a rupture that happens as you go through those spaces. And I find it so beautiful that you can bring all those things to light in one piece of writing. So I guess I just wanted to ask, um, what does time and, and, and history and the, and the future and the present mean to you in your writing? Yeah, thank you. Um, I often have Kind of conversations with some of my friends, uh, some who are writers, some who are academics, um, 
uh, some who are just like wonderfully brilliant people, like neither of those two things, but also just wonderfully brilliant people um, about how often our kind of uh, concept of time that we're attached to these days, and that's kind of most pervasive in our life, um, is a colonial construct and a kind of like capitalistic construct. So the idea of, t of time is something that's valuable or time that's equivalent to, um, you know, a certain certain wage or a certain uh, amount of money or a certain kind of like effort that you're supposed to put in there. There's a, I think towards the beginning of the pandemic, there was a big kind of push for the idea of making this a productive time. And so that is something that, I mean, even before the pandemic, because uh, this collection was written a long, a long time prior to that. That's something that I've always wanted to kind of push against at a bit especially as well since the kind of history of my family is very rooted in that kind of colonial time and that kind of like specifically with indentured laborers as well the idea that their time uh was equal to a certain certain production and a certain profit so that was one thing that i was kind of trying to push against was was these kind of colonial and capitalistic ideas of time but then i also just really really love the idea of, t of time as something that you that's like malleable and that you can play with and that even it one thing that i wanted to kind of capture in different parts of the collection were and sometimes in in the same piece was the way that time can sometimes feel like it speeds up with certain people or with certain experiences or just slows down and like completely draws out um and so i also wanted in addition to to those kind of concepts that i mentioned before um, I also wanted to think about the idea of uh, how we experience time in our bodies um, or in our memory or, or our emotions and that kind of thing. That's so beautiful in, in so many ways and thinking about time as not a commodity is like a radical shift from our, from a colonial and capitalist perspective. And yeah, I just wanted to, to say that it, it was really felt and like, I felt like it slowed down and there was like a, a very visceral feeling or like texture to the way you were describing things in relation to time. So thank you. Thank you. I'm also kind of building up on what Jean here said about time, because in your book, you have two pieces actually that are about time. And I thought when I read this piece once again, I saw it and I was like, cause I was reading it and highlighting it to kind of pick out important pieces. And I read it through and I was like, boom, and I highlighted the entire thing. Cause I felt like it just was all so impactful in one, and it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't too long, it was one short paragraph and it was all so impactful. And so kind of my question here is you've defined time in the in time too as a set of coincidences and a sort of just certain events and activities that all add up would you say that the fact that time is a set of coincidences and that be, if something were to shift ever so slightly, would you say it makes the time you have and the memories and events that happen within that time more memorable? Or would you say they are less memorable since everything technically is a coincidence? Oh, that's a wonderful like little conundrum. And I really, really like that. Um, I think with it uh so the thing that I think about when I think about um and especially when I was thinking about that writing that poem this idea that kind of percolated up to to the top for that one for me was sometimes in retrospect when I look at my life uh whether it's 
in my career, uh, whether it's in my writing habits, whether it's in my friendships or my family, I can look back and kind of plot out little moments that I feel like, oh, if, you know, if that hadn't happened, then this wouldn't have happened. And sometimes they're like, sometimes they're good things and sometimes they're bad things. And, you know, that's just the, the nature of life. Um, I think with all of those coincidences, it would be, there were some coincidences that felt kind of more mundane um, that I wouldn't have weighted as heavy. So the idea of, uh, you know, I, I woke up this morning and I had toast with jam instead of butter. Like that could be a coincidence that I would kind of, uh, it would fall into the, the things, the list of coincidences that make up this timeline. Um, but if it were to shift, it wouldn't necessarily change anything. Um, or wouldn't, it, the idea is it probably wouldn't affect everything as much as um, if I had, when, let's say when I had met a friend and we had met at a certain event, if I hadn't gone to that event, I wouldn't have met them. And then that kind of whole, um, a ball of our friendship wouldn't, wouldn't have started rolling. So that's the kind of coincidence that, uh, that I would say um, I really kind of try to point to in that poem. Um, but it's also up for interpretation. And so I knew that uh, that was my intention with writing it, but the way that someone interprets what those coincidences might look like as a reader uh, is totally up to them. Well, that was a that was a really cool answer. <laughs> um, uh, I like uh, I like thinking about like uh, mundane things too. I guess not think I don't think about mundane things, but I guess I like doing mundane things. I uh, know I'm really fascinated with just the everyday life of like like sometimes I'm like really fascinated by like when I look in a mirror. Sometimes I like to do like a funny face or something, and I'll be like, and it's just be like a split second. I'm like, hey, but that's entertaining, or like uh, you know, but it's like something mundane that like you know I would probably never document in like a big like way or like doesn't really change anything or like I'm like hey that's a different funny face than yesterday or something um but uh yeah I guess how do you how do you get into to poetry like I'm I'm pretty curious about this because like I'm not a very complicated person you know like kind of like what you get is what you see you know I like cartoons I like I like the daytime I like coffee uh you know that's pretty much it um but how do you how do you get into words like that and and understand them and and how do you let them like like take you to a different world and and get in and and write it even because poetry just seems like a such a blank canvas with a whole with the whole world at your fingertips so much so that it it uh it has me uh yeah it has me confused every time <laughs> yeah so um for myself i often call myself a, a kind of accidental poet because I and all of all of my friends as well we um look at my first collection and we're kind of like hmm that's not what we thought you would like Natasha that's not what we thought you would come out with first um I I come from a background of mostly uh, fiction writing so short stories um as well as as kind of more journalistic article uh kind of writing and so the way that I stumbled into poetry was um I liked the way that certain images looked um, or certain image or the way I could unpack a certain image um, or a certain kind of focal point or the way that it felt like uh, if I put, um, put down a kind of descriptor about uh, a moment or about an object or, or about um, you know, a story, uh, 
that I felt like I could capture, I could capture something, I could distill something in a small little piece. Um, when I first wrote the collection, actually, it was all prose poetry. So I know some of them uh, in the collection still look like um, paragraphs. Uh, and so that is what almost all of the collection looked like initially. And then uh, I ended up working with a mentor and uh, my mentor, Shanice Jen Muhammad, um, we actually discussed the idea of uh, space on the page and, you know, what happens when um, you in jam or you skip a line and you send a word down and what happens to the reader when their eye has to, um, you know, their eyes have to go down that page and they kind of have to slow down. Uh, so that was most of the stuff that happened in the editing phase. Now, for me, the as I mentioned, the reason that I, I kind of came to poetry was specifically because uh, I liked the feeling of it, and I liked the the kind of sentiment that you could draw out. I liked the descriptions that I was able to create um, that didn't have to lean on plot or setting or character like my fiction writing did. Um, I have a friend, though, uh, and we've been friends since high school. He's um, also uh, West Indian. I believe he's half Trinidadian, and then his other side is uh, is Indian um, from, from India. Um, but my friend Kevin Ramroop, or his stage name I think is Kevin A, uh, he actually seems to come at writing in, in a different way. So when he does poetry, because he's also a musician, um, his focus is more so on structure, on sound, on the way that, that you know, uh, the rhythm moves in a piece. Um, and so I, I feel like, I bring that, that example up because I feel like we have such different styles and I like that poetry gives you the opportunity to be able to come at it however you want. Um, and so it's it's more about, for every poet, it's more about what you naturally lean into or what you want to learn uh, with that blank canvas, as opposed to attempting to, to do it all at once or attempting to cram everything onto the canvas, uh, so to speak. This is just something that I started thinking about a lot while listening to the conversation and, and just wanted to see if you had anything to say about it then. Um, is there anything like just sort of small things in your life that do just to remind that there, that you do have that connection to people who came before you? Like what, like you said, there is that disconnect like you were talking about. So what, what do you do to, you know, make it feel less so if you can? Mm -hmm. So for me, um, that usually ends up being uh, things that feel small and mundane sometimes. So um, things like uh, I have a, a collection of kind of um, folk tales uh, that, that I have um, from uh, folk tales that are all, all kind of different Guyanese folk tales. And every so often I'll take it out and um, I'll read it and, and take a look and try to kind of feel a connection that way. Uh, I read a lot of writers in the diaspora as well. Um, and so that that as well, the, a lot of those writers will write about that kind of disconnect um, or that space uh, kind of in between that that they, um, they seem to tread in. And that also is something that I find myself very comfortable in. Um, and that, that makes me feel um, a kind of connection or resonance with. Um, and then the last thing that I would say is uh, it, 
I guess in addition to to things like um, stories and uh, things like music, um, I'd also say going back to the poem on reading, sometimes it's the you know the smallest things that will make me feel that kind of connection. So um, eating you know eating a, a pastry like a pine tart and thinking about the way that food is a connector, um, or the way that with with something like tea, um, the way that it's often the first thing that you're offered when you go into, um, when I go into any of my relatives' house, houses. So uh, it's a combination of, of that kind of more um, tangible uh, documentation, like music and like, uh, like stories and that kind of thing, um, but also the, the things that are more intangible and often kind of ephemeral if you, if you think about food uh, as something you can consume and it's kind of gone in a moment. So the question I have, my the question I have for you, is about the name and the choice of name because I find it really interesting because you call it bittersweet poems. My question, kind of, because you mentioned this being about the disconnect. My question is: Is the poems are the poems meant to be bittersweet to you or to the reader? Mm -hmm. So I think my intention with the title was that I had wanted it. Um, to be bittersweet to me and to kind of be able to, to show that viewpoint of, um, of both the, the really sweet and wonderful things that I'm able to connect to um, or the places that I'm able to find community, but also that kind of uh, the, the bitterness and the gaps that are in between. Um, and the kind of, um, I think when you think about the, the word as bitter as well, not just in taste, but the idea of, of um, kind of being a, a little bit resentful and having to come to terms with those kind of feelings, right? Um, and then putting them, of course, to, together and um, showing it that, that it's the two sides of the coin. Uh, but I will say that throughout the collection, um, it's also kind of the idea of the speaker guiding someone through their journey. And so if they were you know, if my intention is to have this narrator uh, who speaks about both the bitter and the sweet, um, then I think naturally I would hope that the reader would be able to to connect to that as well and to see it um, and to find things in their own life as well uh, and be able to hold both of those emotions or both of those sentiments. So what do you uh, find yourself doing during COVID then, or like during this time? <laughs> time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, so it's a combination. I mean, I, I have my, my kind of nine to five job. Um, so uh, thankfully, I work from home. Uh, and that's all all remote. Um, but outside of that, it's it's been very strange, because I spend most of my time outside of COVID, either um, hanging out with friends, or, um, you know, training martial arts, that kind of thing, uh, going going to different events uh, for it within the, the literary community. And so all of these things that were very, very community-based in my life um, have now gone online. Uh, so, and have also become kind of like far and few between. So whereas I would normally see my friends two, three times a week, now we might have a Zoom call together um, once every two weeks, once a month maybe. Um, and so it's all of these, all of those kind of things that are stretched out now more. Um, and I, I end up looking forward to them a lot. Uh, but the way that I've been spending most of my free time is um, just uh, reading. Um, so doing doing a little bit of reading still, um, mostly poetry or um, uh, comics, actually. 
um, so poetry, comics, manga, um, the the kind of things that I feel like can hold my attention for enough enough time without me feeling um, like I have to really, really sit and commit because my mind uh, isn't working as much these days to, to be able to commit to something like a novel um, or something like a memoir. Uh, and I think I'll get back into that at some point. But um, so there's that. And then the other side of it has uh, has been video games, which has been really fun to revisit, but something that I, I used to do a lot um, when I was more of a teen. Uh, and so it's kind of also a, a fun nostalgic thing, a fun nostalgic activity to revisit. Thanks so much for joining us, Natasha Rautor, on the uh, 101.5 Broken Headphones podcast, UMFM. Uh, it's been great and uh, looking forward to whatever work comes out in the future. And yeah, 